0: Hello and welcome to Overdrive, where we cover everything to do with motoring and transport from the sublime to the ridiculous. I'm David Brown, and in this program we look at news stories including a German government report is critical of Tesla's autopilot. We discuss the motoring needs for a listener who has two dogs, goes camping and surfboard riding, and he and his partner are going to have their first baby. What should they look for in a vehicle? And in our panel discussion with Brian Smith, we take a light-hearted look at stories including the Mustang. Is it art? Is it memories? Or is it a show pony? Have a question or a comment, send it to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. Now, let's have the news.
1: In September, a 50-year-old German driving a Tesla Model S in autopilot mode was involved in a collision with a tour bus... Full of Danish travellers. Now, the German magazine Der Spiegel is reporting that an internal report for Germany's Transport Ministry has described the Tesla Model S autopilot technology as representing a considerable traffic hazard. Part of the problem, the report says, is that drivers are not alerted by the autopilot system when the vehicle gets into a situation that the computer cannot solve. In addition, the car's sensors do not detect far back enough during an overtaking manoeuvre, while the emergency brake also performs inadequately. The ministry has told Reuters that a final evaluation has not been undertaken and further tests were being conducted. There is a strong push from some
0: academic quarters to implement a system of value capture to pay for additional transport systems. In this way, property owners will be charged a levy to help pay for a new transport system because they are receiving additional benefits. But how much would you have to pay? Fairfax Media has published information from a leaked report about the proposed Canberra light rail project. The report shows that the ACT government has given detailed considerations to levies and other options to raise money for the project. The Capital Metro document, which is dated January 2014, showed modelled situations with levies of $50 to $500 a year for 5 to 20 years across the city or confined to households within a kilometre of the line but the document concludes that the major opportunity to raise revenue is allowing more intensive land use along the corridor. The ACT government is reported to have rejected the idea
1: of a levy. In Poland, intelligent parking systems are solving Warsaw's traffic problems. Warsaw has recently begun a test parking information system designed to monitor the number of parking spaces in two unassisted car parks two intelligent parking system technologies are being tested as part of the project. The first uses wireless sensors fitted directly to the individual parking spaces. The second uses more traditional video cameras to monitor available car parks. A smart parking app is available to download. Drivers are directly informed about free parking spaces through their smartphone or via a web page with an interactive map. Buses, bikes and electric vehicles
0: will get priority along one of Nottingham's busiest routes as it is turned into a new Echo Expressway. The 10km route will be delivered in phases. The proposed Echo Expressway will create sections of new bus lanes in both directions to improve journey times, new and improved bus stops and pedestrian crossings. The works will see a new cycle route and a road lane for electric vehicles and buses. The Eastern Cycle Corridor will provide a two-way cycle superhighway on the north side of the road, segregated from traffic and pedestrians. An existing shared path will be resurfaced and cyclists will also have priority at side roads.
1: Large transport projects such as new railway lines and tram systems can create a positive public image, but they usually only provide a good service to a restricted range of people. One big project generally does not solve all transport needs. The other issue is that big projects absorb funds that cannot be spent across the entire network. This is an issue for a council in Edinburgh, where councillors in Lothian are trying to get a large dividend from a publicly owned bus company. The dividend would be put towards extending the city's tram network last month it was reported that transport for edinburgh which oversees both lothian buses and edinburgh trams tightened internal security protocols after a spying scandal that highlighted tensions between the two services if you want to
0: travel by reasonable quality roads from brisbane to perth you have to make a significant detour via the eastern states of new south wales and south australia but the Outback Way is a much more direct route that goes through the Northern Territory, including Alice Springs. The Outback Way, billed as Australia's longest shortcut, is a 2,800km road link from Laverton in the northern West Australian goldfields through the Northern Territory to Winton in Queensland. The problem is that for a considerable part of its journey, it is an unsealed road. Now there is a plan to seal all the route, which will provide a major benefit to regional communities along the way. The ABC reports that the Outback Highway Development Council General Manager, Helen Lewis, said about $200 million had been committed to the project over the next three to five years. And that has been the news. A listener called in and asked about buying an SUV. The reason was that he and his partner had two dogs, went camping a bit. They also were surfers, so they had to carry their boards. They had a small SUV, a Subaru XV, but they need something bigger, not the least, because they're going to have their first child. They need more room in the back for the dogs and the pram. Of course, if you know me, I tried to suggest a station wagon, but that didn't gain much traction. They are hovering around a couple of Kias, the Sportage or the Sorento. Are they in the right ballpark? Paul Morell from practicalmotoring.com.au has tried most of the vehicles, so what does he think? He joins us on the line now. Paul, I guess we really have to understand where the customer is coming from if we are to look at a number of options.
2: That's very true, David. Like most people, you need to look at what you're going to use the vehicle for, how much you need to carry, whether it's going to be your everyday car, and if they're having a baby, believe me, they won't be thinking about the right things for a car. (laughs) (laughs)
0: well you see they want a bit of performance not because they want a hoon but they had something like the xv the subaru which is a very little car we'll talk about the amount of uh, cargo area in a a moment but of course it didn't perform well now again that's not a problem except when they found that they had to stop beside the the side of the road on a major road and then pulling into the traffic stream again they thought they had plenty of room they floored the car and it sort of dribbled up to a speed while a large truck was approaching fast from behind.
2: It's an interesting point, isn't it? Most people wouldn't think about performance as being a safety factor, but you just outlined exactly where performance can be a safety factor.
0: The other thing is seating and comfort, but also adjustability, because they'll have a couple of drivers. I read a review of the Hyundai Tucson, they were saying that actually it's not easily to adjust the seats as much as its Korean counterpart, the uh, Sportage. You ought to, if you are testing the car, try that as a particular feature.
2: You're right. We rarely check those things when we test drive a car, so it is an important factor that we tend to overlook. You know what
0: I hate? I hate the adjusting of the squab by a lever, where you pull the lever up and it becomes all floppy and you've got to adjust it to the spot and then let the lever go. I much prefer of course an electric adjustment, but I'll take a, a knob that you turn because you can do it in degrees without it getting out of hand.
2: Absolutely.
0: When you pull yep. the lever up you can end up flat on your back.
2: Yes, you can indeed. Um, <laughs> it could be it could be useful occasionally. But, <laughs> but yes, you're right. That that Infinite adjustment is what I call it, Uh, if you've got a lever then it it moves in increments Mm. and that doesn't necessarily mean those increments will suit what you need for your driving position.
0: Luggage space is obviously a a very important point to them but it also gets to the point of uh, like adjustments of the seats for comfort of the driver. Uh, It's also how easy it is to fold down the rear seats.
2: True, true. I mean, again, again, it's one of those things you tend not to want to do on a test drive. I mean, it's hardly exciting folding rear seats up and down. Mm. But it's something that you have to do fairly often. And if they're carrying surfboards and camping gear and all that sort of stuff, then they will need to fold the rear seats down. Mm. And sometimes with some of the larger SUVs with, with three rows of seats, those rear that rearmost row of seats, they'll probably want to be able to remove almost. Mm. And that's an interesting point, too, that you know they're looking at a, a range of sizes people tend to go they think suvs all have to be huge they don't and they don't all have to be all-wheel drive so some of the the suvs what we tend to jokingly call sneeringly call soft rotors are not that much bigger than a station wagon they're not that much heavier than a station wagon they a lot of them are front-wheel drive some of them are all-wheel drive on demand so there are a lot of options that they can look at.
0: Now take that point about size. I mean, they bought a Subaru XV a little while ago. Now we're talking about the Sportage with the rear seats up. You're talking about 466 litre capacity. Santa Fe, the bigger SUV for Hyundai, about 516. So you're talking around the high 400s, low 500 size. The XV is 310. Yes. It is minute, really, in comparison. It is
2: borderline, and it's, it's partly to do, I think, with the, the roof line. It's not just, the, it's not just the, the, the raw data of the amount of space in the back. It's, it's how usable it is. Hmm. You know, how high is the loading height? Um, you know, how, how big is the opening? Do the seats lay flat, which is always an important factor?
0: Yeah, that's a brilliant one. Do they lay flat? If they don't, how hard it makes it to slide things in, like prams... And, of course, um, as most do now, but uh, the split rear seat, because, you know, if you've got one child and you're still surfing, if, it, if they end up having two, they might have to curtail their other activities. I mean, <laughs> I mean surfing.
2: <laughs> yes, we know which activities.
0: <laughs> Sorry. Uh, it's quite all right. Folding down the rear seats, again, the Sportage, 1455 litres of space. Uh, Santa Fe, bit bigger, sixteen fifteen uh, litres, of suppose, one thousand six hundred fifteen, which is really quite large. But again, comparing to what they had, the XV Subaru, it's seven hundred and forty. That's not mm-hmm. much bigger than a Falcon boot. Now I drove the Falcon, quite large, five hundred and something or other uh, liters of space. But gee, I tell you what, it didn't look easy to use. It didn't have a flat floor; it sort of bumped here and there. Your point about the, the actual measuring of the literage is not the point. Is it usable space? Can you get to it, and and is it square and easy to use?
2: Oh, exactly. I mean, we talk about you know, there, if the wheel arches, for example, intrude quite a long way, then. You have lots of space, but you've got a narrow space between the wheel arches. That becomes a problem. And, of course, a lot of the stuff you're loading into and lugging into the back of these four-wheel drives, SUVs, is quite heavy. And it's quite often not just heavy, but also cumbersome, a very strange shape. I, mean, I find children's prams, I mean, I don't have to bother with them very often, but hmm. children's prams, for example, are really strange things. Well, that
0: raises a good point. Do you have a tailgate or do you have a door that opens?
2: Again, there are so many variations. You have obviously the tailgate that lifts up so the whole thing opens up. You have a, a split tailgate so the thing the bottom half folds down and the top half folds up. Then you get to the issue of how tall are you? Some of those vehicles once you open the tailgate you've got a bit of a problem reaching up to get it back down again. Uh, Is it electric? Is it powered? Is it one of those things where you can waggle your foot under the bumper bar and it it opens automatically?
0: Paul, lovely to talk to you. Uh, As always, thanks very much for your time.
2: Thank you, David.
0: That's Paul Morell from practicalmotoring.com.au. And the word practical, I think, is most important for what we have just been discussing, a practical need for a young starting family. You're listening to Overdrive. And finally, for the program, the part that many people enjoy, particularly and that 's when we talk about quirky news and to help me discuss some of the issues I have on the line brian smith good day brian how are you
3: good day david i 'm wealthy
0: i think you've been traveling the country doing more work on transport, which is fantastic indeed getting to the point of cars now I had a mustang for a week, and fortunately i we couldn 't quite catch up for you to have a look at it but i 've got to say. It was a great driveway car. Now, what I mean by this is that I woke up in the morning, got dressed in, went outside, and they're sitting in the driveway with this beautiful orange-red Mustang sitting there. Now, when I mean driveway, it's not to show off to the neighbours or anything. We have an enclosed sort of driveway. It was a one that I could just see and appreciate. It was, in many ways, a little bit like art on your wall. You know, occasionally a guest might see it, but really, it's one that uh, for you to appreciate strongly. Is it me, or am I or am I weird there? Do you think, Brian?
3: No, that's a that's a really interesting take on it, isn't it, David? The um, the idea of a driveway car and and not showing it off in your driveway, but just thinking how good it looks in there. The Mustang's always been an iconic car, hasn't it? And I often think the name of the the Mustang is so evocative, isn't it? Mm it's a, it's a very much an american thing a wild horse but all of those elements of what a mustang means are really applicable to the car and so you know you're buying an image you're buying a a lifestyle in a sense and a, a, an approach to the to the world and so having one in your driveway i guess makes you feel some of that as well were you sort of yearning to
0: drive it though david it had that but there was that distinction there was the time where it was just art for me to appreciate and perhaps share with a few people who might be interested. It was also, of course, a memory of my youth. I I wasn't old enough to drive, of course, when they first came out, yet I was becoming aware of cars. I think that's important. And then the final point that you, you were asking about, it was a possession of which to drive down the street to enjoy as a car and perhaps to note that people looked at it and seemed to enjoy it as well.
3: Well, the early ones, David, were a fantastic looking car. I'm not enamoured of some of the later ones, I think they get too lumpy, but uh, certainly the the early sort of first mustangs were just a beautiful design.
0: And they were, what you say, a lithe horse. They really looked like they were they would enjoy running they ended up looking like fat pigs after a while <laughs> that's right and then they became puny little ones i drove a mustang it sounds fantastic down from san francisco down to los angeles down the coast road one time it sounds wonderful doesn't it except it was in the 80s and it was one of those mustangs that looked like a glorious hatchback you know it wasn't uh, much better yeah. than you know derivative of a hatchback had a reasonable engine in it and that, but it just wasn't it. The part of it being a memory of the youth is rather interesting because I wonder, Brian, whether there are cars that really hold their image well or whether they're just holding an image of the time. Uh, Let me give you an example. The E-Type Jaguar, I I think, is a very sleek car, but really when you look back at it, it looks a bit cigar-like with narrow wheels uh, and they've made a more modern version, not Jaguar, but an independent called the Eagle which is, seems lower and wider and a bit more square-shouldered, not square-shouldered, but more solid sort of thing. It's a beautiful-looking car. It takes the E-Type to where it's going to go. You take yeah, something yeah. like the Porsche, I thought looked really good, and for a while there, it every new model didn't make the old model look uh, bad, and it still doesn't. I think every new model now is looking a bit bland, almost petite sort of thing you know uh, look, of what of what they were
3: look I, I agree with you david i think the there's a lot to be said for a sort of design vernacular that re, that transports you to its era and so i think i agree e-type jag is a is you know really a 60s design and even the early mustang the same it's it's a muscle car but it's it's brings you back to a simpler time i think you're right that uh they don't necessarily have to look modern, but certainly something like I don't know a Mini, an old Mini still has a look about it as a as a car that doesn't look out of place um, on the street. It's tiny, yeah. but uh, you know it's it's still a it's a car you can say yep that's that belongs here. Whereas others kind of look like they've uh, they've landed from a UFO, I suppose some older car designs.
0: But being tiny is actually nice, isn't it? Because we were talking about this with Fred and uh, Dean the other day about some cars. The E Type Jaguar is classic. It's got little thin tyres on it, and it looks a bit gawky for that. Hmm. And, and you go back and we were talking about the the the, the ending of the building of the Falcon. I was asked on uh, ABC what was my favourite Falcon. I said the two-door, but you've got to have good, solid, wide wheels on it. Not super wide. And same with the Charger, when you put wider wheels on it. Now, you've got to be careful you don't go over the top or you end up with a hot rod. Mm,
3: but you say, David, what, what if you put wide wheels on a P76? It would look totally wrong, wouldn't it? It's, it's not a car that I think benefits. Uh, and some, some of them, I think, deserve to be left the way they are. Austin A40, Austin A90. Again, it's a design that, that looks complete the way it is, but, it, but I agree with you that there are certainly some cars that look better when they've been lowered or they've had some wider guards put on them.
0: Without going over the top, but mm. you've got to be careful or you end up with the Mona Lisa with a Campbell's can of soup.
3: Yeah, not many car companies or car enthusiasts are very subtle though. It's not like... The toddler, that you know, you the important thing is taking the drawing away from the child <laughs> rather than letting them keep on it, you know, so they reach a point where it's sublime, and then you know, the next brush stroke could be a disaster. And maybe that's with the uh, you know, this kind of modification of cars, there's a, a point at which you can say job well done, and then the next point they've ruined it, yeah.
0: These blinging your cars, what is it, uh, this, this whole idea that wide wheels look good, super wide wheels must look better. Must look better, and massive exhaust pipes. I totally agree that's wrong. As I say, the hot rod, where you get a Model T Ford, which ends up all chrome and superchargers, it's quirky, but it's not art. That's
3: right, it's, it's difference between a hot rod and a car, isn't it?
0: The V6 Ferrari Dino needs nothing. Hmm. as it is, to my mind, just beautiful. But then again, it might get back to the point that it was a memory of my youth. Yeah. yeah. You know my theory, that you can tell the age of a boy uh, by the car that he really loves because it coincides when he went through puberty.
3: Yes, there's some important associations there. The car that you drew on, you know, in your uh, school books.
0: See, getting into art and that, we've had songs like Mustang Sally, which was about a singer, Della Reese, who uh, wanted a new Mustang, and so they sang that. But uh, the words of it were a bit, the title was as much as anything. But then you get something like Janis Joplin's Oh Lord, Won't You Buy Me a Mercedes-Benz? And it's that wonderful sort of poetic use of the car in a much broader context than just a set of wheels and an engine.
3: Mm. To represent arriving and being wealthy.
0: My friends all drive Porsches and I must make amends. Mm. And then, of course, she talks about, well, if you know, it's almost, well, if I can't get that, how about a colour TV or a (laughs) night out on the town? By the way, just say, driving down the street, you do look to see whether people looked at you. But I was in another car just recently and a Ferrari pulled up beside me and I made the impression intentional thing of not looking at it <laughs> and the guy in the passenger seat i think was severely disappointed
3: Was <laughs> he making noises and revving the engine look <laughs> at me look at me
0: <laughs> just recently i wrote an article for fleetautonews.com.au the other day about the prius and i was saying how it started out very much as a symbolic car it was a case where you bought one not because of the financial value of doing so, saving some fuel, yes, but it cost you a lot to buy when it first came out, but rather as one that reflected you or your industry, your business, or your organisation as one who was concerned about the environment. Now I think we're moving to no car at all, and the mayoral elections in Melbourne are an example of that. Councillor Ken Ong, he's been the council's planning chairman for some time, and he's now running for the Lord Mayor, and he said if he wins, he would dump the mayoral driver and he would walk. Now this, uh, I think... In Sydney, uh, Clover Moore, of course, went to a Prius as an, a sample of that. But Brian, can we go to walking as a, a practical as, as well as a symbolic solution?
3: Well, well, they're talking more about the, about more than walking, aren't they? So I think every one of the candidates for mayor, incumbent, has. Has said that you know, they would they would use uh, they'd walk they'd take public transport and and if they did need a car they'd hire a car for the day so so I think yes it's entirely practical and in fact our current prime minister as a senior member of the opposition was known for travelling extensively on public transport and hmm. and you know yes you can go to other countries particularly New Zealand and see. Um, mayors and ministers on public transport and Boris Johnson on a bicycle, all those, all those sorts of things. Look, I think it's it's two things. It, it's symbolic, obviously, around being better connected with the people, but it is also if you have a, a city that is rich in transport options, then why is it not appropriate for you know our elected representatives to also use those and understand what we all go through in our daily life?
0: Rich in tra- transport options. Oh, I love that expression. I know a case where I'll have to use that in the near future. There's also, there was an expert out from the Netherlands not long ago, I think their Prime Minister was seen going to a meeting with Putin where he was riding on a bike to the meeting, or at least a very senior Russian, who, who was ultimately offended that he should approach such a meeting in such a lowly way. As you say, I think it was a great idea. Have they got a king the Netherlands? I think he was seen out on a bike as well. Perfect. Well, the other thing, Brian, I was in the centre of Sydney the other day, which is many... Well, the main street has been closed in part, in a major part, because they're building a tram line through there. And I've got to say, gee, the city was nice. Yes.
3: Yeah, the shutting down of George Street turned it into quite a pleasant space for a while, didn't it? Yeah. Before the major construction happened, there were back basically no buses, very few cars in that street. And it, it, it made a huge difference just to noise, the level of noise. Mm. You and I discussed a while ago about how you know, I, don't, I don't drive in the city at all. I take public transport and I walk in the city centre. And so when I actually had to pick up a car from work and take it somewhere, I was bamboozled. How do I drive through the city? How do I get to my home from here? And I, I realised I, I didn't understand the city from a car driver's perspective. I didn't understand where I could turn and not turn, what routes were available to me. That means I am sort of homo public transportus or something like that, that I've I've evolved beyond a reliance on the car. And do you know what? If I ever want to get somewhere on time, I do not take a taxi. I do not drive a car. I take public transport and walk. And so there's a simple benefit for our elected reps that they may well get places on time and get more done.
0: I've said in the past, a little while ago now, that I want to do a James Bond movie where he doesn't have a special car, he has a free public transport pass. <laughs> and the baddies hop in a car and get caught in traffic. He oh, hops on a, a train and gets there first.
3: And beheads them with his metro MetroCard. Uh, <laughs> like Sharpened.
0: Usual. Who was the... the the guy who had on, the had job. Old job. Old yeah. job. Transport covers every subject, doesn't it? It does. Brian, good to talk to you. Thanks for your time. Bye. And that's Brian Smith, and we were talking some quirky news.